The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, take that mistletoe off your belt buckle and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 403 with guest David Aiken, recorded live Monday, November 24th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD in our TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Code Magazine the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com And now, the man who says, if the shoe fits, throw it at George Bush, Carl Franklin! Thank you, thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, New London, Connecticut. Richard will be here in just a moment. But I'm flying solo for the intro, which is going to be short. In fact, we're going to do some short intros during the holidays because we are just absolutely swamped. And I'm sure you won't mind getting right to the content. One little thing I do want to mention is that if you are a Mondays fan, this is your happy day. There's been a new Mondays published at mondays.pwop.com. If you don't know what this is, it's uh, adult-oriented humor. And uh, we've done 76 shows. It's Richard Campbell, myself, Mark Miller, and Karen Mangicotti. And uh, it is funny. However, if you are offended by nasty words, you probably don't want to go there. Uh, however, if you are a Mondays fan, this is one you won't want to miss. And again, that is at mondays.pwop.com. All right, let's get right to our interview with David Aiken. Richard, our guest is uh, coming back for more. He couldn't uh, couldn't stay away. David Aiken is the uh, architect evangelist or an architect evangelist for Azure at Microsoft. Uh, last time we heard from him was show 306 where he was talking about bridging the gap between dev and IT. Welcome back, David. Hey, it's great to be back. So still an architect evangelist, but a totally different role. Absolutely. New gig. Um I often kind of say I did the last cool thing from Microsoft, which was Windows PowerShell, and I'm doing the next cool thing from Microsoft, which is Windows Azure. Nice. So for those of us who weren't at the PDC or just happened to have our head firmly in the ground, tell us, give us the elevator speech on Windows Azure. Okay, so the first probably thing to deal with is the, the naming um, of the platform. So there's the Azure Services platform, which comprises of um, the Windows Azure piece. Um, and then on top of that, there is .NET services, SSDS. Well, let's just wait. Let's back up services. even further and talk about what so, is this thing? The whole platform um, is Microsoft's cloud offering. And it's a set of um, services and basically capabilities that we have running uh, in CTP in Microsoft data centers right now that you can start playing with and, and starting to build applications on. So basically, you've got data centers all over the world uh, that are accessible via the Internet. That's why you yep. call it the cloud, cloud computing. Yes. And um, you're able to create your own servers and services on these systems. And uh, 
So the, the, the couple of questions first that come to mind, that came to mind actually for me when I was at the PDC is A, what's available, of course, B, how much does it cost, and C, how is it different from the last time you guys tried to do something like this, which uh, was Hailstorm or .NET oh, My Services? Oh, no, you had to bring that up. He said the H word. So, I, you, you know, people are going to want to know, right? Yeah, absolutely. So so probably we'll, we'll, we'll work backwards. Um, well, well, we'll ignore the last question right. um, completely and hope <laughs> we run out of time. But it will just go away. The middle question is really easy. At the moment, we're, we're in very much a CTP kind of mode. We've not announced any pricing or when it's going to be available for kind of in quotes production kind of RTM. Okay. Um, so that that makes that conversation really easy. Um, I would anticipate that we'd be in the same ballpark as the others, and you can draw from that what you you, you need to really. Um, so that that's the easy that's the awkward hard question gone with really. Okay. Um, so. Back to what what is it? Well, there's lots of different components, and, and uh, you know the one that I really want to focus on is the um, the OS in the cloud, which is Windows Azure. Okay. Um, and the whole plot behind it really is to enable you to build um, internet skill applications, deploy them, and then kind of manage them and run them as a service very very easily. Okay. And the, the you know, just in the same way as you might do it in a data center or, or even on your desktop machine, you have an OS which takes care of things like the hardware, drivers, printing, all those kind of things that you need to do. There's always a, a kind of level of indirection or an abstraction that hides you from the kind of the hard stuff and, and lets you program against a nice API. So yeah. to print, it's fairly straightforward. You don't have to worry about any of the complexities of the printing language and, and that kind of thing. You just issue a few commands, give it a, an image to print, and in a way it goes, it does its thing. So when you kind of compare that idea and put it into the cloud, you think, well, what types of characteristics do does a, an operating system for the cloud have to do? And, it, and it's, there's some similarities, obviously. Um, there's the hardware abstraction, but this time instead of abstracting away the CPU and memory and disk, we're abstracting away servers. So right. we're working at the the multi-server level and abstracting away those things. So you don't have to worry about which server, which service is running on. Where, where does your app run in the data center? It's like, well, I don't want to care. I just want to know that I've got 10 of them running or 100 of them running. I'm, I really don't care about the load balances that need configuring. I don't want to care about the, the DNS. I want all those things taken care of me. Just in the same way as you program an app for the desktop, you don't really want to worry about threading and all you know all the the kind of stuff the OS takes care of. Same idea, but but on a much kind of bigger scale in the cloud. Okay. So that's what Windows Azure gives us. It's the the operating system for the cloud that allows you to build a service and deploy and execute that service and and manage that service in a kind of automatic way. In our data center. So it really doesn't have anything to do with Hailstorm, which was a bunch of services that Microsoft wrote and offered. This is a platform for you to create your own services. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, as, as with anything, we do have um, we have that piece, and then we have some other pieces which allow you to compose more complex applications. For example, in .NET services, we have um, basically a message bus, an internet message bus, that allows you to communicate between different locations, and, and it could be between the cloud and the enterprise or between two enterprises, but um, one of the services is, is that really, and it allows you to kind of connect applications together. The great thing about the really is it lets you go through firewalls and, and kind of do that message publishing, um, subscribing that, you know, is so needed in this kind of world. And there's other services as well, including some database services, and then there's all the live services such as Live Mesh. Um, and the live platform services as well. So there's quite a kind of spectrum all the way from kind of consumer-oriented um, services down to very much kind of enterprise and, and things like identity and, and database services. But you don't need to use any of those things. You can just simply build your own service, not take any dependencies, right. and, and just build what you need. 
You know, it seems to me that we never, we haven't yet talked about Windows Live Mesh on this show, Richard. It is really cool, and I don't think a lot of people understand the, the true power of, of what Live Mesh is. I'm not sure if you've played with Mesh today, but basically you can sign up, download the, the, the little runtime, and it gives you, first of all, some storage, and you can create folders, yeah. and those folders not only get synced up with the cloud, but you can sync it up with other devices. Um, so that could be you, your mobile devices, your, your Apple Mac computers, your desktops, and, and so on. Yeah. So all the devices that you might use on a day-to-day basis um, will eventually be able to plug into the mesh and to be able to access this data. So that's the first piece you kind of to understand. That. And we're talking about not only the not only your documents, but your favorites. You know, your emails and and all of those things, right? It, it can be anything. Things. It's it's really just a. a, a a feed of data, really, that's, that's being stored. Yeah. Then on top of that, you can actually build an application that uses that data. And currently, the application model would be using Silverlight 2. So you can imagine hitting a... If we take a look at, at the mesh running in the cloud, you have a desktop in the cloud. And you can access folders and copy files in and out and do all the things you would expect. But you can also run apps. And the apps are Silverlight 2. And they're really going to use the data stored in your mesh. So that's cool. So now the app runs Silverlight. Silverlight runs on a variety of platforms, and that will grow over time. So you should be able to build one app that runs on your Vista box, on your Apple Mac box, um, on your mobile device, and so on, and, and build kind of one app that does that kind of thing. It's good that you said on your Mac box, because it's important to know this is just data, so it can be shared between... Any, Absolutely. Any machine. Yes. But it occurs to me that, I mean, Silverlight 2 finally only just shipped a little while ago. And uh, Absolutely, so really, yeah. the, the optimal platform for Mesh has only just come to fruition. Yes. But even Mesh is still uh, a CTP. Um, I'm not even sure we call it a, a beta. Maybe we do. But it, that's still in the early stages of, of development, really. And the, the great, kind of one of the, one of the sample apps we've being put together, which um, I'll talk a little bit about, is um, kind of an auction site um, as a kind of sample of building internet scale kind of applications. And we've got this concept of a wish list. Now, at the moment, if you go to a website, and you, you, they may have a wish list, but the wish list is stored in that website. There's no way of kind of taking that wish list and giving it to another website. Right. So we thought, wouldn't it be cool if you could store this wish list in your mesh? And then First of all, the, the website that you, you go to can put things into your mesh if you give it permission. So you could go on the site, you could go, oh, I'm really interested in that. I'm going to add it to my wish list. And that gets added to your wish list in your mesh. And then you can go and visit some other sites and actually submit your wish list to those other sites. So you kind of own the data there as opposed to your data being tied up on the kind of the consumer website. This gets into that whole social networking thing where why do I have to keep recreating my lists of friends in all of these different sites? Absolutely, so yeah. now you own your yeah. data. Yeah. What a concept. That's right. It is. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of what everybody thinks of as, you know, my data is mine, I decide who I give it to, and, and all that kind of identity um, talk is, is kind of really, I think Mesh enables a lot more of those scenarios. But Mesh is very peer-to-peer, right? It, it it kind of is, and it also it has the cloud element. So even if even if you just kind of create content on your desktop, you still sync it up to the cloud. So you can actually go to any machine in the world, log on to uh, mesh.com, and access your live desktop if you like, right? And get at your content and and be able to run your apps. So hmm. yes, it it can be kind of a single machine, but there is that cloud storage element. Which is interesting because then you know it's almost like they're conflicting products in some ways, Azure and Mesh. Um, kind of, kind of. It's more. I think Mesh is more geared towards building that kind of client experience. Now, just take the next leap in the Mesh is if you have your data synced into Mesh and it's on your laptop and you go and get on a plane, you can still work with that app because it's going to use a local copy of your your data there. And when you get back on an internet connection, you don't have to. Your app doesn't have to worry about syncing back right. up. Um, the mesh is just going to take care of that. So that this stuff sort of happens. So the next question is: yeah. How easy is it to take a service that you write on your desktop and move it into the cloud? So it's it's 
that's a loaded question. It's real simple. So first of all, um, it's real simple and it's real hard, and I'll, I'll explain why I've, I've said both. First of all, um, Windows Azure um, supports, currently in the CTP, supports the .NET framework. It's uh, ASP.NET 3.5 SP1, uh, running on a 64-bit server, so that gives you an idea of where it is. It's running in Medium Trust. So basically, if you can build an ASP.NET app that runs in Medium Trust, there's a good chance it's just going to run inside the cloud with very little changes. Now, that's great. Everybody gets real excited. Um, Super duper. Um, One thing we don't give you in the the cloud is a SQL server or an Oracle server or or SQL Express. Really, any database at all? uh, at all, yes, we don't give you a, a we don't give you a database as you would think a database kind of is in your you, you kind of. My point being, I want to write SQL expe- expressions. Pardon? The, the point being, I want to write SQL expressions. Uh, abs- absolutely, you 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 want to build an app. Pretty much most of your apps are going to work with right. data. So, um, we've in as part of the platform, we have a set of kind of. Um, base essential storage services that you're, you can build um, your application to use. And there's three pieces of storage. Um, there is blob storage, and that's kind of obvious. Um, you can store files in there. You can put pretty much anything you like in there. Um, max size in the CTP is 50 gig. Um, I don't think we've hit a limit yet, um, so that, that, will, that will increase. Um, so there's blob storage, which is great for kind of doing that file, storing photos, movies, all those kind of things. Then we have queues, and queues allow you to communicate kind of in, in a typical high-scale internet fashion. You know, you never really do anything when the user asks you to, you queue it up, and some background process kind of does the, the real work at a later date. That's how you kind of, that's one of the ways you can achieve skill. And actually, the platform itself provides you with a, a background process, which we, we don't call a background process, we call it a worker role, that kind of sits in the background and, and you can write it so it reads messages from queues and then does all of the whatever it needs to do, place the order, update the inventory, all those kind of kind of things. But there's a philosophy here, right, that, that you always do everything uncoupled, asynchronously as much as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely decoupled, everything decoupled. And the, and the, the, the kind of more decoupled you are and the, the smaller the unit of work you're trying to do, the more you can scale out. And one of the things to remember about the working and building for the, the cloud is that you're not going to build on a big, huge box with 32 cores and, and 100 million terabytes of RAM. You, you're going to build on the almost the, the, the commodity hardware. It's like whatever the mainstream hardware is, probably that's what we right. have. But we have lots of them, and that's the key here. Is is you're going to run on a, a fairly insignificant kind of server, really. It's not nothing special. You don't have, like I say, you don't have a 32 cores to play with, but you could have 320 of them, right? Servicing your server. This is where you get into the challenging part about cloud, which is it's all well and fine to say this thing's just going to scale, but you've got to build your app to scale. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 that really is the challenge. Um, just one more thing on storage, one more insignificant thing on storage. You'll laugh at the irony on that. Um, we have a table storage, which people think, oh, tables, oh, primary keys, foreign keys, yeah. group by, order by, all those kind of things. We provide basically an entity store where we okay. can store objects. So much more an object and store it, than, than an actual table store per se. Absolutely. And there's that. in fact, there's only two columns or two properties of your entity that we actually take any notice of. And one is the partition key, and one is the row key. And the partition key, um, the idea is that you have more than one partition key for your data. And that gives us a clue on a couple of things. One is, if you can imagine you've got billions and billions of rows of data in your table, we don't fit that on one machine, for starters. So we have to put it on multiple machines. How we do that? We split it by partition. So you're basically uh, allowing you have a way to define data that should stay together. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Can you can all you can always obviously reach out to other sources of data, can't you? You can do so. So in the platform, we give you these these three pieces of data. You could then go and use um, a, another service that we have, which which is um, 
the SQL data services, uh, which is provides more or, or is is set up to provide more relational database like features. Um, so maybe you need more. Maybe you need order buys and and joins and those kind of things. That's the that's the kind of next level up. Of course, there's nothing stopping you from going to going out to with SQL Server. Yeah, to your own database. else, but right. but we we don't we don't do that SQL hosting. Thing. Yeah. All right. It's just it's just logical limits. Yes. Yeah. So so the other thing on the partition keys is we also do all of our queries by partition as well. Um, so it's a good idea to be able to figure out which partition the data is in that you're looking for. Um, and, and that really helps narrow down kind of your, your searches and those kind of things. So taking just a, a SQL database as it exists on your, your kind of laptop or your desktop machine or even in your data center and putting it in the cloud just isn't going to cut it. it, it yeah. Whilst we have a lot of the same terminology, you can't just kind of, there's no wizard that goes and imports it. Because you have to really think differently about how you access data at the kind of scale that we're, we're, we're building a lot of these services to handle. Um, and partitioning, data partitioning, and, and kind of denormalizing your data um, a fair bit, uh, uh, some of the techniques that will, will kind of help with that. Okay. So when I do development like this, do am I always communicating to the cloud or do I run a service locally? Like what's the sort of orders of scale here? When do I have to actually go out onto the cloud? So we, we thought it would be kind of a bit of a pain to, to be able to, to write a service and have to kind of deploy it to the cloud to run it and, and test it. Um, so we actually have a, a, a mock cloud as part of the SDK, which you download, you put on your machine, and then you can you can hit F5 in Visual Studio, and actually spins up the the kind of local cloud, which we call the local fabric, um, and actually simulates the cloud um, on your local machine. We oh, do the cool. same thing for storage as well. So it's a bit like a, a Cassini like experience, um, but it gives you a kind of cloud on your in your box. Cloud um, on your desktop. Nice. Cloud on your desktop. I, you know, I heard that phrase uttered at PDC and. Thought to myself, yeah, cloud on your desktop. Guys, you're getting crazy. So, you know, David, to me, there immediately becomes a happy medium between these two things. Is I, of course, I fall fairly heavily on the IT side of this stuff as well. And so my, yeah. you know, my customer's immediate reaction to cloud is my data stored where? And so, <laughs> yeah, right. so hear me out here. I can run the cloud on my desktop to do my development. I can go all the way out to Microsoft's cloud out there. Uh, is there some place in between? Can I run cloud server in my data center? So, so we, we've never heard this question. No, before. very first time, huh? I am the originator of new ideas. <laughs> originator. That's it. Me. Yeah, I think of them. That's that's going to stun me. Yeah. So <laughs> there's several kind of points there, really. One, one is my data is in your data center. Ah, no, it's not. Um, lots of people aren't comfortable with putting that data in someone else's data center, full stop, regardless of whether it's ours or somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I don't know, I, sometimes I feel like saying just get over it and, and do it. But sometimes there, there are legal reasons why they, they can't do that, and, um, particularly in financial and, and medical kind of worlds there needs to be a lot more kind of certification of the platform and those types of things before companies can are allowed to, to kind of store the data or in these these kind of environments. So so that's one kind of angle um, on the on the, the data kind of thing. Um, the other one is is kind of simply, you know, can we run this it's great and it looks like it works great and it solves a lot of problems for deployment and all those kind of things, can we run it in our data center? And, and the answer today is no. Um, the, the plan very much um, today is that, you know, it's a service that we offer. You can build build your service or your application, and we host it for you, um, and we run the application, um, and, and you don't have to worry about building the data center out and all those kind of things. Um, so, that, so that's kind of the position today. That's not to say that won't change in the future and, and there won't be a kind of version that you could install in, install in the data center, but um, today we, we have no plans um, to, to kind of do that. Okay. All right. I mean, that's just how it is today, and, and Microsoft's not above changing yep. their minds someday, but you're not going to tell us that. We, we've, we've changed our minds before. I'm I've sure. heard that. So for those who weren't at the PDC, of course, uh, Don Box and Chris Anderson did a really cool demo with Azure 
Well, do yeah. you do you remember it? I do. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, not that I saw it, but yeah, I remember. So, uh, and and they basically sort of wrote up uh, on the fly this uh, fairly complex uh, scenario where they had data services where they had services running locally that called out to a cloud service which they deployed dynamically right on the fly uh, it was it was pretty impressive actually and yeah. it it looked very easy to do it, it is and, and every, everything's on the .NET platform on, on the .NET framework anyway so as, as an example in the windows azure piece we we've added a new kind of there's a new dll you add to your web projects and if it contains more than 10 methods across all of the classes, I'll, I'll be really surprised. It's like everything was already in the framework. Why reinvent the wheel? And uh, there's a couple of things we had to reinvent the wheel for just to make it work in the cloud. But the API is very simple. So people are already familiar with building ASP.NET applications. They're already familiar with hosting WCF services and building those things out. They're, Accessing storage is done through ADO.NET data services or REST in, in, interfaces. So, again, p- people are familiar with those things. So, from a kind of language use point of view, people are already there. They already have the skills to go and write applications for, you know, for the cloud. The, the, the thing where they're going to be challenged, where they have to think a little bit differently is, is when they're thinking about that scale. How do they get their scale? How do they build the applications so they're decoupled? How do they handle the, the new storage paradigms? And what's really interesting is, you know, if you talk to an ISV and say, hey, you know what, you've got no joins. They kind of pass out on the floor and they're like, how can I build an app with no joins? <laughs> and then you go and talk to a, a, a web 2.0 kind of company in courts um, who's already been through this and, and perhaps built the Facebook app or, or built the kind of photo sharing site and that kind of thing. And they all nod and go, yeah, this absolutely makes sense. This is perfect. Um, and, and they get that, you know, traditional database, relational databases are very hard to scale up real big, real fast, um, where a lot of the, the services we provide are, are, are already scalable. And, and you do the hard work up front to kind of fit your data, your usage into there. Um, where I think with SQL is it's very easy to get started, but then as you scale, you need a lot of kind of rocket scientists working on how do you get SQL working across 12 different servers. And, yeah. you know, then you have to start thinking about partitioning your data and all that kind of thing. And it's like, we make you do all that up front. So from a language point of view, real simple, from a kind of shifting the emphasis to decoupled apps and, and using the new storage for that internet scale, it's very, very different. Now, um, the other question I need to ask is, the services that we create um, in the cloud can be consumed with standard REST clients? Or, or Absolutely. We don't need Windows clients to do this. This is standard stuff, web services, et cetera. Absolutely. So, so you, you could build, I mean, you could just build a, a WCF service and, and expose all REST interfaces sure. if you wanted to. Sure. You could access the storage directly through REST interfaces. So we already have some samples in the works for Python and Ruby on Rails and all those oh, great. kinds of things. That's very cool. Um, and and um, the, the, you know in the in the planning for um, the, the platform, we we are looking at you know what what kind of service might you want to run in there. And today it's .NET um, services. Um, we've talked a lot of PDC about being able to run native code there, um, so that you can build your kind of media encoders and all those kind of kind of applications. As well, and, and it kind of doesn't take a big leap of the imagination to go well. If you can run native code, then you can pretty much run anything. So you know, I, I, it's going to be pretty exciting. I think um, the, the kind of services we're able to to run that. But absolutely, you can just as you can go and host today on IIS and consume it from anything. You can absolutely do that in the cloud. Sure. I want to just take a minute to uh, bring you a message from our sponsor, Telerik. Our friends at Telerik are working hard as usual to bring you exciting new stuff for your .NET toolbox. How about two brand new control suites, RAD controls for WPF and RAD controls for Silverlight. That's right. If you started building next generation applications, you now have UI components with Telerik quality and Telerik reliability. Both product lines are derived from the same code base, and share the same API, so transition is seamless. 
uh, they have many improvements in the other robust suites for ASP.NET, AJAX, and Windows Forms also, as well as the intuitive reporting tool. But product alone isn't everything. To jumpstart your projects and help you easily get up to speed with these great tools, Telerik has got a couple of unique training resources, the Telerik Interactive Trainer and Telerik TV, of course, which I'm the host of. Now, that's what I call summer heat. Go check out all the details at Telerik.com, T-E-L-E-R-I-K.com. And if you happen to run into those guys, say thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. Uh, when are we going to start seeing Microsoft products running on Azure? You know, that's something that, that Ray Ozzie talked about in the keynote, that, that the, the inspiration of this was the fact that you guys have a bunch of huge web pro- properties and that they, they duplicate a lot of work. So why not, you know, bring them to a common framework? Yes, absolutely. And, and the, the underlying platform and technology is, is absolutely something that we're, we're almost desperate for in our data centers. Right. And, and it, you know, it's, it's like all, all the different Microsoft sites, and we, we call them properties for some reason, but all the, all the different properties like MSN autos and, and the, the weather stuff and all those kind of things all have machines sitting there to handle their maximum load. Right. And most of the year, you'll appreciate most of the machines are sitting there and not doing very much. No, and plus, like the minimum provisioning for a new website, even a new Microsoft website, has got to be so big. Yeah, absolutely, and and it, it, it's got to have all the failover stuff. It's got to be in different physical locations and all those kind of things. And it's just an absolute kind of nightmare to try and plan and deploy those things. I know, I know the the amount of effort that goes into those things, and it's scary. It, it really is. It's really. Really and again, I, I sort of fall on the IT side. This is very much an IT conversation about, you know, you, you developers go off and build these wonderful apps and then say, deploy, and everything's going to be fine. And, and the, it's the IT guys who <laughs> sit back and say, well, how much gear is this? How redundant does this need to be? What's our peak load going to look like? How much time do I have to provision additional resource for it? Like, it, it, yeah. it gets really tough, but it also raises the bar, like... I know you built that app, and I know you love that app, but I can't deploy that app because the return on investment you're now showing me for this app does not cover its basic infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so wouldn't it be great if you didn't have to worry about all the infrastructure side of right. it? And and a couple of things that stuck out for me at PDC, I think there was a there was a talk where they were talking about I don't know if it was search or live idea or something, but they, they quoted some number like they they have because they have so many servers and drives and everything like that, that even just the standard meantime failure on hard drives, um, they were meant that they were getting 30 hard drive failures per day. Just because there's Whoa. that many um, hard just drives. Just building the, building the kind of the, the resilience into your system to be able to keep running your service with kind of failures popping up all over the place is, is kind of, you know, it's something that an IT pro has to worry about. I mean, well, that, it's, I so the math here is the idea that the mean time to failure on a hard drive, depending on the model, is anywhere between 500,000 and 3 million hours. Now, if yeah. I have 10 million hard drives, how many are likely to fail in a given day? Yeah. You know, it's fun math when you get to that scale. It is. It, and it, it's, it's kind of scary. And, and you know, it, Everybody does this, though. Everybody kind of, even even in, in your small kind of few thousand user thing, you you really want to put on a cluster at the back end and maybe a couple of front end sure. web servers and that kind of thing. And and if you're building those internet apps, then and you get I don't know hit by you know slash dotted is the the phrase we 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 usually <laughs> come with, dotted. but and all of a sudden you've got twice as many users or five times right. as many users. Then it, it's really a fight to kind of keep up hardware wise, yeah. let alone having to rewrite the software because I know you, you thought maybe one SQL server would be enough and now you've got two and you need to put some queries to one, some queries to another and how do you sync all that up? And, and it becomes a big, big firefight. And we've talked to lots of customers with, with those kind of problems and have been through all of the pain um, on that. And, and it's kind of, it's, it's a bit of an eye-opener, to, to be honest. But in the, in the new kind of the cloud world, the, the plot should really be that, you build your service, you deploy it, and what you do today is you describe um, what your service looks like. So we have a service model, right. and you can dis- you can tell us how many instances of each piece you'd like to run. Right. And then what we do is we go and provision the servers, we go and set up the load balances, wire up the DNSs, and all those kind of things that you would have to do. And we deploy your service, and then we monitor the service. So 
let's say you've asked for 10 front ends and 15 back ends. Um, we keep an eye on that, and you know when we get that hard drive failure, because there's no denying we're going to get a hard drive failure because you know, things break. Right. We'll go, oops, your 10 front ends is now 9 front ends. What we need to do is spin up a new front end to keep you at 10. So we'll do that automatically. And the decision time to, from kind of going, oops, you've, you've gone below your threshold to, to kind of setting the command away to spin it up, is probably less time than the email would take to, to reach you. Um, so by the time you read the alert that we've sent you, um, we, were already spin, we were already in the process of spinning up the new thing. With the hardware advances, we, we can kind of, a lot of manufacturers give you a lot of insight into the hardware, and it's almost like, well, hey, we know there's a problem here because one of the fans is running slow or something like right. that. We're going to have to take that machine out. We can just say, well, let's decommission that machine, and, and what the fabric will do in the cloud is it'll take everybody running on that machine, go and put them somewhere else, and it's a completely automated process. Very, very efficient. How much is the is the customer going to be involved in that whole process? Like, why would you even tell me that that a machine had failed or Absolutely. anything to that effect? L- lots of people want to know, hey, you know, some people go, well, how do I know which machines I'm running right. on and things like that? And it's irrelevant. All you need to know, really, is that your service is running and you have, ultimately, you have this much capacity in your service. And, and what I mean by that is the model today is, is very simple, um, but it's been designed to, to become more kind of enable you to build more complex service. Right. And one of the things we want to do is to, for you to be able to describe how you want your service to be run. For example, it, it's not too unfeasible to say, right, here's my service. I want to have at least three nodes on the front, three instances on the front. I want to make sure that my response time for these calls is less than a second, and I'd like you to keep it like that. So if it means bringing on more instances automatically, just go ahead and do it. But I'd like you to keep my monthly kind of bill less than this amount of much, uh, this value, and maybe you send me alert when I hit, you know, when I get over a certain threshold, you send me alert. When I get over more machines, you send me alert. Right. And then, you know, we, we take your service and go, right, we'll spin up three. And then the, the load starts coming in. We're monitoring the load. We're going, oh, crikey, we need to put another one in. So we, we put another spin up another instance automatically for you. We send you an alert saying, hey, we've just, just you've hit this threshold. We've spun up another instance. And you kind of sit back and, and get the kind of the emails or the alerts saying, oh, we added three more instances. Oh, it's really quiet now. So we've took four away. Yeah, I don't know why I would want to specify any number of instances other than one that I would just put in the initial instance and then you figure out how many more I need based on demand. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, the other angle on this, I mean, we've already heard no pricing is identified yet, but uh, yep. the, obviously it's going to be commercial. Eventually, yeah, this is going to cost some money. Yes. We just don't know how much. But the, the other angle on this is the service level agreement. You know, the the other cloud products out there, like that start with an A, yep. have had major outages, like multi-hour outages. So, yes. you know, I've got to think if I'm a guy who's selling a product, or, you know, relying on this service, I, there's got to be some kind of service level agreement. Like I've got some guarantees that I'm going to be up, you know, that what's going to happen when yep. I'm down. Absolutely. This this question and, and, and this kind of discussion comes up quite a lot when we're talking to a lot of the early adopters and, and partners that we're working with. And it really boils down to, to, to two, there's two angles here really is. One is, I don't care if you go down, um, but I want to pay as little as possible for my service. Right. And it may, it may be like, hey, if we, if we went down for five hours, heaven forbid, then, you know, it'd be a big deal for some apps. But it wouldn't be a big deal for that. Right. We'd we'd just hit nowhere, and you know we'd be like, ah, so what? We're down. We'll be back up later, and you know that's fine for us. But we we don't want to pay for an SLA because we we don't care about it. Then there's the other angle where you go right. If you're down, I'm down. If I'm down, my customers are suffering, and I don't want my customers to suffer. I have to pay a penalty. You have to pay a penalty. So yeah, the the other side of it is like. It, when we come out with pricing, I would imagine that it, it will be backed by um, SLAs. And then when you get into the SLA conversation, different people want different kind of levels. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it kind of becomes a minefield because, you know, the, the thing 
typically associated with cloud computing or utility computing, if we bring that term in as well, is I pay for what I use. Right. But some businesses don't want to go, well, hang on a minute, so my, my IT forecast for the year is what? You, you, you can tell it, you, know, you can say to me, this is how much it's going to cost, but then I've got to sit down and work out how much my app consumes per day, per month, or whatever, then figure out what my cost is per year. It, it kind of becomes really complicated. And, and what a lot of people are saying, hey, could I just buy in bulk? And, and kind of almost like a cell phone plan where you go and buy and you go, well, I'm going to have a 1,000 minutes, and this is going to be the fixed price. And then if I go over there, you can charge me differently for that. So there's all sorts of different billing and pricing plans that we're, we're looking at as well. So, and again, you know, what, what SLAs would you have with that and, and this and, and all sorts of things. So it's, it's really interesting kind of discussion. But like I say, we've, we've kind of, we're not talking um, about pricing or, or SLAs yet. But when we do... The, the two the two go together. Yeah, I really wouldn't want to compare your pricing model to cell phone pricing. And you know, the other thing that's really important to say here is it's not a, a content delivery network, right? It's not like you can take large large files and and uh, distribute them, right? It's a it's different. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, I'm not quite sure what you you mean by that. Well, you know, a content delivery network is really for for files. You know, if let's say let's say .NET Rocks wanted to put uh, our MP3 files in the cloud, yep. you know that's that's not really what it's all about. It's about services, not about large large files being distributed. Like you're not you're not Akamai, for example, or S3. Yeah, but, but I mean, you, I, I would disagree with that because you, if you put .NET Rocks in the cloud, and I think you should, um, then you 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 basically lose any data center requirement. First of all, so. Um, if you get more users, and you will do after this show, then you, you probably need more capacity. And in the cloud, it's a case of going in and saying, instead of two, I want three. And that's it, you're done. You don't have to go and order hardware, wait for it to arrive, install the OS, install IS, and all those kind of things. You just go, well, let's just have another one there. Blob storage is probably where you'd store all those MP3s and, and, and things like that. So again, you know, you, you've got that... Um, place to put those files which which we replicate and in the future you'll be able to replicate on a geo basis so if you get lots of people from Europe you could make sure that you've got copies of that data you know sitting next to them in Europe and, and so on so you uh, you do have a content delivery network then potentially yes it's all in how you use it I mean this is worth talking through from a .NET Rocks point of view maybe we should be on Azure you absolutely should be. The whole thing about uh, going to a content delivery network for us is being able to get good reporting. Um, yeah. You know, we need to have we need to know how much how many times a certain show was downloaded. And uh, yeah, yeah. So 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 there's lots of um, a lot of the the business metrics you're going to have to put in yourself. But sure. if there's a metric that we bill you on. You can be absolutely sure that you're going to get some detailed report on that. Yeah, I wonder wow. if we're going to get billed for bandwidth. Could be just really three different consumables here, right? There's bandwidth, there's uh, storage space, and there's CPU. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I would suspect that we'd bill you for all three, but like I say, we've not announced pricing or anything like that, so that's merely my speculation. No, but that that's fair. You know that, that it's certainly that that that's an oh, issue, yeah. and and then you get into the reliability of each of those, the availability of each of those. Uh, this now we start to get into sort of defining what the customer is for Azure, because part of me just sure. thinks this is the Web two point thing. So it's the the garage developer guy who's got no money. He's trying to do this on the on the cheap until he gets successful. That that is absolutely one type of customer that we have for this. I'd also expand that into, you know, your traditional ISV. In fact, at PDC, one of our launch partners um, had an application, a, a service that they just could not build without our platform because they needed to build a scale um, on demand, but also they needed to have kind of zero footprint into um, a, a business's data center. You needed to be able to build and you need to be able to kind of say, I want to use this application or service and not have to go and add more things to your to your data center. In fact, 
one of their customers doesn't really have a data center. Um, they might argue that their rack with two machines on is a data center, but um, I, I, would, I would check out the uh, full armor um, piece on the Ethiopian uh, government group policy portal project um, because that's a great example of where an ISV is going to build a service on Windows Azure and um, you know couldn't couldn't really do that without without our platform. And then there's the enterprise angle of well, you know, do I just want to use extra capacity or do I want to build these these applications that now allow me to do business to business kind of um, operations or, or even just you know get rid of my data center. We have a a lot of enterprises looking at our cloud and, and thinking, well, if I move this part of my operations there, then it, it could save me a bunch of money because I don't need to maintain the data center space for for these kind of things. So. There's a whole bunch of different customers, anywhere from the hobbyist down to down to the down to the enterprise, up to the enterprise. <laughs> I would <say>. The mere <laughs> enterprise. Enterprise. Well, I do think that there's also going to be sort of a bridging point here between um, you know your data centers at capacity, and rather than adding more capacity to your data center, you start putting stuff out to the cloud. Is the cloud always going to be Microsoft, or are there going to be third parties running this? At the moment, the plan is to be Microsoft Cloud. Okay. But again, these are just other possible modes to this thing. There is. I mean, and if we purely speculate, um, it, it would be great to see, um, you know, a, a cloud operating system like we have being run by different, um, you know, cloud providers, if you, if you, if you like. Sure. So we, we kind of, at the moment, we're running the service as opposed to just providing the software that runs the service. But if we ever did decide to kind of resell the software so other people could host it, then I think I think personally that would be a good thing, and you could see that different different providers could offer different kinds of services. For example, somebody could be like, "Hey, you know, work with us because our data center is being certified to this level, and we have all these extra things in place for storage and, and whatever like that." And then you could have the cheap chipsters who are like, "Hey, you're going to share a machine with another 900 people." Yeah, um, yeah, but the price and, can't and have be all touched. those kind of different spectrums. But being able to build one app that runs across the board anywhere kind of has its appeal. I think the challenge, of course, for me as a developer right now is saying. Uh, you know, I'm committing to a platform that's brand new. The code that I'm writing here right now only runs at the Microsoft Cloud, the, the, you know, the work that I'm going to do here. So it's really a question of how much energy do I put into this, uh, this new in the game. Yes. And, and, and that's a great, great comment and a great kind of thought. Um, but, but I think it's the same of any, any platform. If you look at, you know, say the Google App Engine, it it has a similar kind of quality um, about it. It's it's running in their data center. You follow their programming model and and so on. So there's some similarities there between it. But, sure. Um, uh, you know, we can speculate what might happen in the future. But but today, just to be clear, in case this gets you know how it does, um, we, we have no plans to to kind of make that available for a any other way. Yeah, that's how it is right any now. Other way. Uh, yeah. And uh, but we'll announce something tomorrow that says something different. Well, and and the main reason to jump on now is that early adopters, you know, get a jump on their competition. The the real struggle you've got is I have a great app idea, and I've started to price out what it's going to take to operate the infrastructure for it, and it's it's it prohibitive. I'm not going to be able to do this. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and you you can now. You, I mean, today you can put together an app in in your if you want to say in your garage or or in your bedroom on your laptop. Build it, test it on your local machine, do all the debugging. Go, hey, this is real cool. Deploy to the cloud on one instance. See what happens. And and today it's free, so you can you can really you know give it a try without any, incurring any costs. And then if that the, the service or the application is successful, then you you know you have the ability then to to scale out in the, in the future. So you know we're growing all the time. We're adding more capacity to our data centers all the time. Um, so we, we, we you know. Your service becomes popular. You can scale it up and, and keep going with right. it. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's definitely we're at we're at the early stages here. It's interesting to see what's going to happen next. Uh, for yeah. me, I'm really excited about seeing Microsoft properties appear under the Azure gallery. Yeah, you know, seeing the, that that content there, so that we, you know, because I know once Microsoft starts consuming their stuff. 
it gets good. It gets good fast. So what's yes. what's the call to action for developers? I would say the call to action for developers absolutely is to to check out um, Azure.com, um, where you'll find links to not only the the Windows Azure piece, but also the .NET services, SSDS, live platform services, and so on. So the entire kind of platform around mm-hmm. there. But I download the SDKs um, for some of the services that are, you need to kind of connect to the cloud for, like the Internet Service. Um, bus the relay. Um, you're going to need a token to access those things. Yeah. Um, there's instructions on the website how to do that. For the Windows Azure piece, you can download the SDK and you have a cloud running on your box, so you can start building your app. And, and, and there's some great SDK samples in there that help you get started. We have a ton um, of hands-on labs. That means about 11. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, which, which kind of walk you through kind of getting started in, in, in all of the different services. So I think that kit is linked to from um, the Azure.com site as well, and, and we'll have a link on the show, I guess, uh, as well. But do okay. download that kit. It will help you get started real quickly, especially on the storage pieces, um, some of the other services. Um, and keep an eye on the blogs because we, we, as we kind of figure things out and, and as our customers figure things out, we're trying to put out on the blogs like, hey, if you're doing this kind of thing, this is the, the technique or the approach you should perhaps take to. So download the SDK and start building some, some services. All right, David. Is there any last-minute uh, stuff that you want to mention? Probably I'll think of something on my way home, but <laughs> not right now. I always do. I was like, oh, I wish I'd said that. There's also your blog, too, right? Yeah, davidaken.com. Let's not forget that. Yes, absolutely. I'll plug myself. Yeah. All right, David. Thanks a lot. This is this is interesting and intriguing stuff, and we encourage everybody to check it out, too. Yes, absolutely. It's been great talking to you guys. You too, David. And we'll see you next time on Dine Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.